Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. And if you're looking for something to do around town, my next guest, I think, has the answer for you. Daniel Slater is joining me in the studio. He is the director of The Lifespan of a Fact. It is uh, going to open soon at the Singapore Repertory Theater. Daniel, good morning. Welcome to uh, Singapore. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Good morning, Glenn. Thank you very much. Great to have you with us uh, today. Uh, Tell us about this play, The Lifespan of a Fact, because it's not uh, originating in Singapore, correct? It started elsewhere and it's been brought in? That's true. It, It was on Broadway a year ago with Daniel Radcliffe Mm. in it. And since then, it's done a big American tour, not with Daniel Radcliffe, but Mm. uh, various American companies. But this, I believe, is the first production outside the United States. And and the topic is very timely, right? Fake news, uh, alternative facts. Give us, uh, if you will, just a sort of a synopsis of what uh, of what the play is. Well, the interesting thing about it, I think, is it starts from an absolutely real and very tragic story, which is a young boy, a sixteen year old boy called Levi Presley, who jumped to his death from the Stratosphere Tower in Las Vegas. Mm. John Garter, who's a well known American essayist, wrote an essay about his death and about Las Vegas and about um, urban culture and youth uh, sense of alienation. And it was submitted to a magazine called The Believer, who gave it Mm -hmm. to a fact checker. And as the fact checker went through it, he started to notice that there were an awful lot of factual inaccuracies. And this debate between the fact checker, Jim Fingal and John Degata lasted for, in fact, seven years before the essay was finally published. And after that, Jim Fingal and John DeGarda thought, wouldn't it be interesting to publish a book about our debate about truth and fact? Because they have a very different interpretation of what this means. John Mm. DeGarda has a strong sense that you can nudge facts to create a more sort of deep underlying truth that speaks to the reader. And Jim Fingal's position was absolutely that you must embase absolutely everything in verifiable fact. The fact is the fact. (laughs) Exactly. And the book that came out had, it was spread over about 100 pages, and it had a bit of John DeGarter's essay in the middle with Mm. all of Jim Fingal's annotations around the side and John DeGarter's reply to Jim Fingal's annotations. And a Broadway producer saw this book and thought this would make a really good play. And in fact, also, surprisingly, given the tragic basis of the story, a very good comedy. Yeah. And six years later, it came onto Broadway, and then a year later came here. Huh. So it, it is a comedy. It's very funny. Yeah. It's, I think it's interesting. Because it sounds, I mean, the way you set it up, it sounds pretty <laughs> darn serious, right? I think what's <laughs> funny about it is that you, you have a... The character situation is very funny because yeah. Jim Fingal is, in this story, an intern. He's very keen to impress. He has an editor, Emily Penrose, who assigns him this task to fact-check the essay. He miscalls it an article to start with, which makes his relationship with John DeGarter gets off to a very bad start. Mm. But because Jim Fingal is so keen to impress, when Emily says do a thorough fact-check, he takes it at her word and checks literally every single wow. fact. And the, that's what makes it funny, because to start with, the things he's picking up on are trivial and very minor. But what happens over the course of the play is that those minor things become more major things and finally become, for Jim, an absolute doctrine of the need to base your writing in verifiable fact, because if you don't, he claims, and I think there's a lot of sense in what he says, you undermine your argument and you undermine, eventually, society's trust in itself, which is a rather profound thought about the way society interacts with what it reads and what it watches on the news. And that's why I think it spoke to an American audience, obviously. Yeah, sure. It's why it spoke to me as someone who suffered Brexit. 
and why I think it would speak to a Singapore audience too, because obviously the whole issue, I mean, not just with Pothma, I think, of course, that's been in the, in the headlines the last year, but I think before that, mm. the relationship between Singaporeans and the media is a very particular one. So I think that debate that this piece will incite is uh, a really exciting one. Uh, we're uh, speaking to the director of The Lifespan of a Fact, Daniel Slater, and, and that is going to open on the 25th of February, right? 25th of February to the 14th of March. That's right. That it right? opens on, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background because you have a, a, a very wide and, and vast background in theater and, and not just directing, obviously, but actually being on stage as well. Well, tell us I, about what you've done. Was, uh, I was a child actor, and that's, I think, partly because of my parents. My mum's an actress. Uh, my fan, yeah. father ran a theater company, so I actually played Tiny Tim for my dad when I was 11. <laughs> I did a TV series with both of them called Edward VII. Okay. Um, and then I tried very hard not to follow in their footsteps for many years. Mm. And then when I was at Cambridge, I was directing some plays, and, and I just fell in love with it again, and I couldn't stop myself. And then it went from doing plays to doing opera, which is what I've more done in the last... 20 years. In fact... As a, as a performer, not as a no, director? No, I don't think anyone wants to hear me sing or pay money for it. Uh, no, very much as a director. So gotcha. the, I haven't performed... I think the last time I performed was a stage reading at the Globe Theatre where I was supposed to be directing it and an actor got sick with a tummy bug at halfway through rehearsals and so I had to take over. Oh. But that's 10 years ago. Opera just took over, but strangely, the last play I did was also in Singapore, which was Romeo and Juliet four oh, years ago. Because yeah. um, you're based in London. I'm based in London, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, it feels, it's good coming back to it, because when you work with opera, you are working primarily, you're basing your directing on the music. And when you're working in plays, of course, you're basing it entirely on the text. And so the getting to that chance to really closely analyse text, create your own rhythm mm. and so on that you do in theatre is a real release. And it also in some ways feels like coming home. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, this is a, a little bit of an aside to our topic today, but what was it like to perform at the Globe? I mean, of all the historic theaters to, to be on stage, that must have been, well, what, how, what was it like? It is a wonderful space and it makes you, you do travel back in time when you're there. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can see around you once you're actually inside the theater that makes you realize you're in the center of London. And the, the acoustic is amazing. The ambiance is amazing. The closeness of the audience, mm. the use of the, the pit for mm. the groundlings is fantastic. Mm. Um, and so there's a very specific relationship between audience and performer that only really exists there. And if you go and watch a show there, I mean, we were doing just a stage reading, if you go and watch a, a full production there, the bulk of the audience are standing as they used to in Shakespeare's day. Uh. So they are, perform they are groundlings, and they're paying five pounds as opposed to, in Shakespeare's day, a penny. Yeah. But still, it's the equivalent <laughs> of a penny nowadays. Um, and so that relationship between performance and audience is, is unique, I think. When you perform, or even when you direct or do the, the various roles that you have, at some of these, uh, at the, some of these very well-known, very storied places, do you... Do you feel a sense of that history of that of those who have gone before you? If if that sounds a little bit you know esoteric, I, I don't I don't mean it to. But mm -hmm. do you sense the the history that you are taking part in to be just in that place? Very much so. I think even I mean certainly I've worked for example a lot in this in the states and when I was working in uh, San Francisco a few years ago and the, the War Memorial Opera House has been in existence for over a hundred years I mean it's it's been rebuilt because of uh, earthquakes and stuff but you still get that strong sense that the people who are on those on that stage are 
some of the most famous singers who've who've ever lived. Mm. And when I first walked into the auditorium to direct it and uh, to start rehearsals there, and I saw this vast auditorium, I felt like a primary school kid who turned up at the big school going, what, do they really want me to direct here? It seems so fast. Um, but that sense that other people who've sat there and watched and, and, and worked there, I think it's an amazing part of what makes, it's that very kind of visceral smell of what it means to work in a theatre, I think. Yeah, uh, talking with Daniel Slater, who's the director of Lifespan of a Fact at the Singapore Repertory Theatre, uh, starting from Tuesday the 25th until the 14th of March. Uh, shows uh, daily uh, until 8, at 8 p.m. and on Saturday, 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. Uh, at the uh, KC Art Centre, of course, the home of the SRT. And I know Gaurav Kripalani, the uh, artistic director of, of the SRT, was very excited to have this particular play come to Singapore, especially given POFMA, given the uh, alternative fact and reality world that we live in today. You mentioned this was uh, more than a year ago that, that it was in the U.S. Does it have a different meaning to us just in this past 12 months uh, as we get closer to a U.S. election or as we get closer to other things happening around the world? Um, is it I wouldn't think it's less less uh, you know important, but is it any more important now, or has it changed in any way in your mind uh, that you're looking at the script uh, these days? I think when the point when I was preparing this uh, was just leading up to the British general election in December, and what happened in that period leading up to that election was what happened also in the period leading up to the Brexit referendum, which mm-hmm. was there was an awful lot of targeted fake news advertising going out mostly through Facebook, through very specific profiles. Of course, what had happened in uh, 2016 was very specifically linked to Cambridge Analytica uh, and misuse of data. But even now, there's such a precise understanding of our individual profiles that it allows people who want to manipulate what are called the persuadables to target those particular people with basically what is scare tactics. And I think that is going to apply again in the United States this autumn. It's interesting, I think, that Bernie Sanders said yesterday that the Russians were trying to boost his campaign, yeah. probably because they think that Bernie Sanders running against Trump helps them keep Trump in power. There are basically, I think, in all these scenarios, people who are in power, who want to maintain their power, will do whatever they need to do with facts, the manipulation of facts, to ensure that they retain that power they've already got or gain it if they haven't got it already. Yeah, yeah. So I think coming up to any elections, and I th- I'm not sure when the next Singapore election is going to be. It, it, it hasn't been announced yet, but it needs to be in the next year right. or so. So yeah. in, these, in these situations, of course, you have a, a government that's been in power for an awfully long time here. But like any government, when they coming up to election, they want to feel that their mandate is more secure than it was last time. And if they ever feel that it's less secure, they're always likely to do something to try to counteract that, which is maybe a, a part of what Pothma was was about. Um, I mean, I'm not coming from the outside. I don't want to speak about that directly because I feel like I don't. I, I know about it only uh, as an English person coming from the outside. But I can certainly say that from my own point of view, the manipulation of facts in the for the uh, in the sake of gaining power or retain um, or retaining power has been abusive. Uh, in the UK and has been detrimental to the democratic process. Yeah. When somebody comes out of the uh, lifespan of a fact uh, at the end of the show, what are some of the emotions that will go through their head or their minds uh, as they come? Not to, not that we're trying to tell them what they should think, but, but what, what do you think they'll feel when they come out of it? Well, I think I want to say two things about that. One is I think that the the debate that's set up in the play is between two people who fundamentally disagree entirely in the sense that um, there's no moment in the play where they find a middle ground. Mm. 
There's an absolutist belief that Jim has about the um, prioritization of fact and an absolute belief that John has about uh, the underlying truth that communicates itself to readers. And Emily, the editor of the magazine, that wants, desperately wants to publish this because she needs to for the sake of her magazine and her own reputation, she also is terrified about uh, liability, litigation, if it turns out to be that there are things in there which are not true. So these three people are fighting their own corners. And I think at the end of the play, what I love about it is you don't come out going, right, we're being told to agree with John or we're being told to agree with Jim. Mm. We mediate, I think, our, our feelings about the two characters, the two men in it, through Emily, this very important, um, strong female character played by Janice Coe. And we watch this battle between uh, it's Jamil Schulzer and Gafia Akbar playing Jim and John, respectively. Mm. And we're not allowed to come to any easy conclusion. So what I hope happens, firstly, is that the audience come out and continue the debate amongst themselves. And right. secondly, because yeah. it is, as I said to you at the beginning, it's a tragic story about this boy who died, what I wanted to do was to remind the audience that at the end, it's based in a very awful event that happened an awfully long time ago to a boy who felt... Uh, alienated from society, from his parents and the city in which he lived and mm. did this horribly violent act to himself. Mm. And so what I've done in the production is introduce, reintroduce the character of, of Levi Presley himself. There's a moment in the play where John says, I wrote to Levi's spirit, not his body. And ah. what I'm trying to do in the production is to reinvoke Levi's spirit in the course of the production to remind the audience that in the end, this is based on a real tragic story that occurred to this real boy. Yeah, fascinating. Daniel Slater, the director of The Lifespan of a Fact. It's starting this Tuesday at the SRT, Singapore Repertory Theatre, uh, going till March the 14th. Uh, Daniel, I can't wait to see this production. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Great. Well, I hope to see you there. Yeah. Thanks for uh, being with us this morning on Money FM Weekend Mornings. It's been a pleasure. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.